churches, and there's something unique about Emmanuel. I was talking to somebody this week. I am proud to be the pastor at Emmanuel. So thank you, uh, orchestra, and thanks, TJ, and thank you guys for continuing to show up and, and to really just pour into what church is really about and what life is really about. We're going to start a new series this week. Uh, we we kind of talked through this idea of a village and, and really launched into our community groups, and we're going to start that tonight. That really kind of kicks off all tonight with community groups, and I'm excited about what's going to happen tonight. If you don't know, if you haven't been on a Sunday night, then I encourage you to come tonight. It's going to be very uh, easy and, and nothing to be scared of and nothing to be afraid of. When I say the word outreach, a lot of people kind of uh, kind of turtle up, you know what I'm saying? You go back into your shell and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to act, and this is not that, okay? It's really, really uh, going to be really, really good. I'm excited about tonight. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about something that I rarely would ever say, and, and I don't say very often to the stage, that, that, that what I'm going to talk about and what we're going to discuss over the next few weeks uh, can really change your life. But with this series, I'll be bold enough to say that it will if you allow God to do it. Uh, when we think about this idea of baggage, we, uh, I, I kind of talked a little bit about it this morning in men's breakfast, about how we carry around a lot of stuff that, w that we don't necessarily have to carry, that, that a lot of us carry baggage from, um, from all different areas of our life, and, and we've, we've gotten so accustomed to carrying it, it's just kind of part of who we are, right? It's just kind of who, uh, who we know ourselves to be, and we carry... Uh, different kinds of baggage. We carry emotional baggage, right? We carry hurts and things of, that, have, that have happened to us. Maybe some baggage from our past. Maybe from relational baggage. Listen, if you are in a marriage and, and you've carried in stuff that, that you dealt with when you were in, in your dating life, right? You carry baggage into that and you have to work through that and unpack a little bit of that baggage within your, your marriage relationship. There's some of you who are, are maybe in a second marriage and you've carried baggage in from your first marriage. And you're going, it's, it feels like it's the same thing. We're fighting about the same stuff that I fought with with my first husband or with my first wife. It's because you're carrying the same baggage that you were carrying back then into the new relationship. Some of you who are just in dating relationships, you can't figure out why nobody wants to date you. It's because you're carrying around too much baggage, right? You can't, you can't open the door because you're like, oh, my hands are full, girl. You have to get it yourself, right? So you've got all this stuff that we deal with. Some of you carry baggage from events that happened in our childhood. Right, and that's sometimes very heavy stuff, very intense things, and we get so good at it, we begin to carry other people's baggage. Right, we think that that's somehow our responsibility. That when someone's really going through something, we want to go over and we want to lighten their load. But what we end up doing is we take some of their baggage and we carry it. And a little bit of that I think is okay, but when you carry it and you hang on to it. And now it kind of just kind of morphs into your baggage. I think that's where it, it goes wrong. We carry baggage of shame and guilt. We deal with things that we think, I'm not supposed to be over this. I'm not ever going to be used by God. I'll never have a right relationship in my life because of the things that I did in the past or the things that, the mistakes that I've made. Some of you carry baggage of bitterness and uh, resentment and anger. You, you don't want to let people in. You build these walls up and you say, no, because, because I know how people really are and they're just going to use and abuse me and I don't want to go through that again. And you're just so angry and you're so bitter. And then we carry the baggage of our sin. 
and the stuff that we know that we've done to God. And we read things in Scripture, uh, and, and it just makes us feel so guilty and condemned all over again. And, and we think God could never really love me because of all the stuff that I'm carrying around and because of all the junk that I've gone through in my life and because of all this baggage, I'm never going to be good enough in God's eyes. And the reality is we get really weighted down, right? It's heavy stuff. And we get real tired and we're worn out from carrying around all this extra that we can't be the husbands and the wives that we're supposed to be. That we can't be the parents that we're what we're called to be. We can't be the friends that people need us to be. And it's because we're just toting around a bunch of stuff that we don't have to tote around. We're going to look at this month, and the whole month of October really, is this idea that, that how we interact uh, with our spouse can be changed. How we interact with our children can be changed. How we interact as a group of believers can be changed if we change how we process and ultimately interact with God. Because we have so much that we're carrying around, sometimes God's saying, well, you just drop it, and when you just come to me, and you're like, no, I, I, I'm used to carrying this. It's fine, I got it. I'm, I'm okay. Don't, don't worry about me, God. I can, I can handle this. And he's saying, no, you can't handle this. See, I believe the overall thought and the overall picture of this whole idea that we're going to produce is how do we process and understand forgiveness? Right? Because the, I think the, the real root of our issue is, is that we would all say that other people deserve forgiveness, but I do not. Other people uh, deserve to be forgiven for the things that they've done, but, but you know, I, my sin is different. My stuff that I carry, I, I don't deserve that kind of forgiveness. And because our skewed perspective of our own self-worth we begin to carry and accumulate stuff. And I'm not worthy for this, and I'm not good enough for that, and they'll never really love me if they knew who I really was. If they knew what I had done in my past, they'd never really fully accept me. And that goes into relationships, that goes into friendships, that goes into church circles, that goes in, listen, that goes into some of our deacon leadership, right? Men who have been elected and have been voted in to be deacons, and they go, I'm not good enough to be a deacon. I don't need to be in that capacity. And I go, listen, walk into that room and name any of those men that are good enough to be deacons. None of us are, right? None of us are, are worthy to be used by God, but God continues to use us in, in, spite, in, 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 in spite of our weaknesses. He says, I can take that and I can make that something really, really great if you would just let me have your baggage. And so uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some stuff. We're going to look at some masks that we wear, right? Where we have to pretend like we're supposed to be something that we're really not. That, that we feel like we have to measure up or we have to live up to the standard. And God's saying, just be who you, I created you to be. We're going to look at shame and guilt. We're going to take a week and really look at what those things do to us and, and how God says that's no part of the equation when it comes to me. We're going to look at a biblical understanding of forgiveness. We're going to, we're going to really define what that looks like. We're going, to, we're going to define the church word that we throw out that's called repentance. What is that? How do we really live with this idea of repentance? How do we, how we, how do we interact with God through that? And then uh, one of the last weeks we're going to look at owning our sins. Like you got to own it. Like your baggage, you got to write your name on it. Some of you don't like to do that. 
Some of you like to make excuses or, or say that maybe it's somebody else's when it, and all signs and all arrows point, this is yours, that, that you did this, and now you've got to own it. And now we've got to rename it. Now we've got to move it into something else. Now we've got to change what this is and not live like this anymore. I think that if we really, really focus in for the next couple of weeks, that, that at the end of this month, we're all going to be a little different. I think that we're all going to be able to process things a little different. If you missed a week, I encourage you to get online and watch it on our website. Watch back so that you don't miss, that you don't miss something that God can really, really teach you. This week, we're going to look at things that distract us, things that deceive us, things that kind of look like one thing, but they're really something else. And so I've got a really good way to, to kind of to let this be a little bit realer. And, and I was going to pick on uh, Mark Weeks, but Mark isn't here. He had to work this weekend, and so he got off the hook. So I'm going to pick on my other Haiti buddy. I'm going to need Jerry to come up here. Jerry West, come here. Come here. Yeah. Jesus is going to use you today, Jerry. Be ready. Okay? So this is something that may look a little familiar to a lot of you. This is a bag. Jerry, what's inside that bag? Do you see that? Decoys. These are decoys, right? And so here's, I borrowed these from Reed because... These things are expensive, and uh, Reed had extras. And so these are Reed's decoys, so don't break them, okay, please? <laughs> and so this is a decoy. Jerry, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this bag, and I want you to just make laps. Can you go down that and around? And run? No, you don't have to run. Just walk with the bag. Just make laps until I tell you to stop, okay? Just keep going. You're our, you're our object lesson for today. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't find somebody prettier. It's just I got to pick from who I got to pick, right? And so, so what is this? What is we all know what this is, right? This is a, this is a duck, right? This is not a duck. Okay, this is a decoy. This is not alive. Okay, I'm not petting this duck. I'm not doing. This is a decoy, right? And so, like when we think about these things, we think about what do decoys do? What's the purpose of a decoy? The purpose of a decoy is to lure in a duck, right? It's to pretend like it's something real when it's not. You're doing great. Keep going. You're doing great. The purpose of a decoy is to simulate a safe environment, right? It's to, it's to tell the other ducks that, that maybe, maybe it's safe to be here. It's designed to look real. It's, it's also designed to not just look real, but almost kind of look like it's fun right? If you've seen some of the decoys, it's just the bottom half and like they float like this because it's supposed to simulate that there's, there's food, they're eating. Some of the decoys, their wings spin and, and that's to show that they're coming in, they're landing, it's a safe place to land, right? And so the whole point of this decoy is it's screaming to the other ducks, come on down, hey, hey, it's, it's safe here. It's, it's kind of fun here. There's, hey, there's some girl ducks here. And, and, and at no point is there someone in the bushes trying to shoot your face off. That's, you keep going, you're doing good. That's, he's looking at me like, come on, Matt, make your point. That's what a decoy does. Now, to the duck, the decoy lures him in. But to the hunter, it's a game of deception, right? 
We are, we're trying to, to draw the duck close enough so that we can kill it. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that the duck is looking for a place to land. And he wants to believe the decoy. He wants to believe the decoy. So the question has to be asked, church, what decoys are you believing in? What are the things that look real and look like it's safe, but in the back of your mind you're going, I know this is not right. Keep going. You're good. <laughs> He's starting to sweat. Is it getting heavy, Jerry? A little getting, a little, getting tired of carrying it around? It's not fun carrying that, is it? Okay, keep doing it. <laughs> Here's the deal. I believe wholeheartedly that the enemy is putting decoys out in our life, right? Things that look safe and things that look real. But if you really took a look, look at it, you'd know that it's not. That it's not right. It's not safe. It's not anything that you need to be involved in. So here's the deal. What do decoys look like? Decoys look like a can of beer. Ah, oh, it's not hurting nothing. It's not that big of a deal. And it's making a mockery of you, and it's seeping into your effectiveness and creeping into every relationship in your life, into your marriage, and into your kids, into your work relationships. Decoys look like a night ride on a back road in a back seat. Where you think no one's ever going to know. But it always comes out. It always is proved to be something that's not real and genuine. And it devastates your family. And it drives a wedge between you and your kids. And it separates husbands and wives. And it alters your life forever. Decoys look like a shady business deal, right? Where we say, this is going to help us get back on our feet. This is going to help us out, kind of just get reestablished. But it never does. If somebody gets fired or, or you, get in, you, know, you get audited or something crazy happens and, and it always seems to fall apart. Decoys look like a guy at work, ladies, who shows you a little extra attention. And you think, well, it's all just, it's all fun. It's just flirting. It's not that big of a deal. And the next thing you know, you find yourself and you're dressing a certain way because that's the way he likes for you to dress. Or you're acting a certain way. Or you find yourself in certain positions because that's, that's where he wants you. That's where he's going to be. And you know that it's not real, really. It's an affair. It's an emotional affair. Even before anybody gets touched. Decoys look like a dip of snuff or a cigarette. And you think, well, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been doing this since I was a kid. And it's a vice. Really, it's a vice. It controls you. Listen, guys. Decoys look like a weekend golf tournament. And you say, oh, it's just all in good fun. And I get a free pass for this weekend. Even my wife knows I get to act like this, or I get to talk like this, or I get to... 
and in reality, man, it just destroys your integrity. And it ruins your relationships and it ruins your reputation and your witness. And Listen, you may think that, that it's just for the weekend, but people remember it for forever and your integrity is shot. And it's a decoy because it looks like it's fun and it looks like it's satisfying. It looks like it's something that could be really, really good. And, and it's not a big deal, but really, it, it's a big deal. Listen, we've got those decoys. There's a hundred more where that comes from. How about the decoy of deception and insecurity? The decoy of guilt and shame. The decoy of over-security, right? Not just insecurity, that, that you don't believe that, that you're worth anything at all, but over-security, thinking that you're the greatest thing that's ever walked the planet. That everybody wants to be like you. That's a decoy. Get real. Get honest with yourself and say, you know what? You know what? I'm, I'm, a, I'm probably a little bit more insecure than I want to admit to. What about the decoys of addiction and pornography? decoys of ambivalence and just not even caring anymore you get roped into something and it, it's this it's this all-consuming thing and you think it's good and you think it's okay and you think that nobody else is going to know a decoy of excuses gets heavy right jerry you tired of carrying around that bag you can put it down thank you here i'll take it because here's the reality. Thank you, sir. You can sit down. Appreciate that. We have these, we have these decoys. And we keep going back and we keep thinking, this is real. It looks real enough. It feels real enough. Everything inside me goes, gosh, I wish it could be real, but man, I know that's not real. I know that's not reality. I know that when it comes down to it, I'm chasing after something that's fake. And so we start accumulating these things. And we get our bag and we, we put it down inside of our bag. And we go to the next decoy and we put it down inside of our bag. And the next thing we know, we're just making circles. We're not going anywhere. We're just walking around and we're weighted down by the baggage of all these decoys that we think are real things, but they're not real things. That we think are going to fulfill us, but they don't fulfill us. That we think are going to change somehow our life for the better. And we sit back and we all we really are carrying around is a bunch of fake decoys. If you got your Bible, go to James chapter 1. This is... This is, I believe, probably one of the strongest words about this topic that we can look at. James, let's get some perspective here. James is Jesus' little brother, right? Imagine growing up in the house with Jesus as your older brother. James probably heard this on a number of different occasions. Why can't you be more like your brother, right? Well, he's God, so there's that, right? You've got to think. James is... Uh, if you read through the Gospels, a number of different occasions, Jesus' brothers are mentioned, his brothers and sisters. Mary and Joseph had their own natural-born children. We forget about those sometimes. And, uh, and Jesus is walking along with his brothers, and at some point, 
uh, his brothers begin to kind of make fun of him. I don't know if you've read this or not. And, and, and they say, well, why don't you go on up there, Jesus, and, and why don't you go heal that guy? I mean, why, you can do it because, you know, you're Jesus. And they're making fun of him. They're not believing at this point. There's another point where Jesus is doing some things, and the crowd is beginning to kind of get a little agitated. And, uh, and his brothers kind of step in and try to, try to make some peace, and they say things like, he's out of his mind. Don't mind him. He's crazy. And it says they, be, they try to control him. They try to, try to take control of Jesus. And there's a lot. Man, I could preach on that verse by itself um, for hours about how we try to take control. And then Jesus and his brothers aren't really mentioned a whole lot um, until we read the book of Acts. And, and you read the book of Acts and, and Paul, who is making his missionary journeys and kind of begin to be who we know Paul to be and and he, has, he feels like he needs to go to Jerusalem to present himself to the church leaders, to the Christian church leaders. Guess who's the head of that church? James. Something happened from the point where he was trying to make fun of and take control of Jesus to the point of James is now the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And, and what happened, if you read through this account, is when Jesus comes back for, to life after he rises from the dead, he goes and he says, the Bible says he meets James and he talks to him. That changed James for forever. But James' deal is, is if you read the book of James, you're going to look, read it with a little, like, okay, but, but what about this? What about, gra- what about grace, you know? Here's the deal with James. James grew up in a Jewish house with Jewish parents who was very, he was very, very Jewish, okay? And, and James' whole mission, and really, if you, if you read through the, the, the history of the church, the early church, the disciples and the apostles, their whole point is that the Jews would recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the Old Testament promised Messiah, and that they would see him and believe in him and essentially be saved. Their, their, a majority of them, their main mission field was the Jews. They wanted the Jews to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so when James writes... He writes with a, with a strong affinity to the, to the law. He's gonna, you're going to read through the book of James, and you're going to say, wow, he's like really leaning heavily on some of the things that Moses used to say. He's leaning really heavy on how we should act and the things that we should do. Remember, that was all legalistic, law, Jew things, right? It would go all the way back to Moses. But if you, if you read it in the perspective of, well, he was a Jew, and he was ministering to Jews in Jerusalem, and he was wanting those people to see that not only, it's not only how you act, but it's, it's more importantly how you believe. And if you read through things, it's going to say things like, faith without works is dead. And everybody reads that and they go, oh no, he's talking about a faith-based relationship, a faith-based way to get to Jesus. And that's not at all what he's saying. He's saying that if you believe Jesus to be who he is, then it's going to change the way you live. If you really believe Him to be the Savior of the world and the Lord of lords and the King of kings, then you can't live the same way on the backside of it. It has to change you. And James is saying over and over and over again that faith demands works, but that works does not equate faith. You can do all the things. You can check all the boxes. That doesn't mean that you have faith. But when you have faith, it changes the way that you live. It changes the way that you process. It changes the way that you interact with people. 
So we read in chapter 1. Let's go to verse 12. I think I've got it on the screen. It says this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James is saying here that life is going to be hard sometimes, right? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Like the, the one who can hang on to, who can, who can really do what's right under the trial. God's going to reward your faithfulness. You will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And so he kind of sets off saying, listen, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be the, 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 the easy road to, to walk down. But it's going to be worth it because God's going to reward your perseverance. He's going to reward your faithfulness. And then he says in verse 13, which I think is probably the greatest thought toward this decoy thought. He says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But if each one is tempted, when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed, then, after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Okay, so let's, let's just take this passage of Scripture and unpack it for just a second. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. What's this he's speaking to? I believe he's... He's calling out our blame game, right? That, that nothing is our fault. That anything that we've ever done is always easily blamed on someone else. That if you've cheated on your spouse, it's not your fault that you cheated. It's their fault because they haven't somehow been fulfilling you in the way that they should have been. That if, if you um, act like a drunken fool... It's not your fault that you did that. It's your friend's fault because they were kind of giving you a hard time because you weren't participating in what everybody else was participating in. If you have an addiction in your life, whether it's nicotine or alcohol or pornography or adrenaline, listen, that's an addiction too. That it's not, it's not your fault. It's just, we say things like, this is just the way God wired me. Right? We get so boastful and so arrogant that we'd be willing to point the finger at anybody, including God Himself, and say, well, it's not, it's not my fault how I am. It's just how God wired me. It's just how I'm put together. It's just God's fault. God's tempting me in this situation. God is testing me to see if I'm going to give in or not. He's putting he and I or she and I in specific situations to see if I would fail. And, and here James is saying, no, he doesn't. Never, ever, ever is God your excuse to sin. Never, ever, ever can you look at him and say, well, it's because of how I'm wired or it's just how I think and process because this is the way God made me. He's saying, you put yourself in these positions. 
You make the decision to drink. You make the decision to cheat. You make the decision to act the way you're acting. It's you, 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 you. And until you're willing to assume some responsibility, until you're willing to say, you know what? I did that. You know, this didn't happen to me. It happened because of me. We were, I was talking to Jess about this this week, and we turned on some TV show, and it was just some dumb show, and there was like a teenage couple on there, and they were talking, and the guy said this. He said, I've cheated on every girlfriend I've ever dated, but it's because they weren't doing this and this and this for me. And the girl went, oh, I totally understand. And I went, are you kidding me? Like, I just wrote this down this week. Like, he is blaming his infidelity in his relationships on the other person because they weren't doing enough for them. Listen, let me just say this, and I'll just say it, and I'll move on because it doesn't have nothing to do with what I'm talking about tonight. If you're in a marriage and you don't feel fulfilled, that's not your blank check to cheat. If you're in a marriage where your husband or your wife is not doing the things that are speaking the language of love that you need to hear or edifying you or building you up, it doesn't mean that you go outside of your marriage to find that with someone else. It means you sit down and you have some major heart-to-heart conversations with your wife or with your husband. And you say, this is what I need from you. This is what I need from you. What can I do to help you? How can we work this out together? Because you know what? If I step outside of this, that's not your decision. That's my decision. I own that. I did that. But too many times, church, we sit back and we sit on our hands and go, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. God must have tempted me with that. I, I, I went to that event and I was, I was headstrong that I was not going to act that way. And I was not going to give in to my friends, or I was not going to give in to that situation, or I was not going to give in to that temptation, but, but God must have just put some stuff in my path just to tempt me to find out if I was going to be true to that. God doesn't do that. Ever. Quit blaming Him for your sin. Verse 14 says, But each one is tempted why by his own evil desires. He's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. How are we dragged away? Our own evil desires. Listen, church, we're looking for detours. Just like that duck is looking for a place to land, and he wants to believe the decoy, right? He wants to believe it. And if you've ever been duck hunting, there's times where you, you can call them in, you can do everything that you're supposed to do, you can do it all right, and the decoy will come in and he'll flash out and he'll go on, right? You duck hunters know, like it's frustrating. But he gets close enough and he's like, nah, I don't trust that. The problem with us is, is we get close enough and we may even recognize it's a decoy, but we're just going to convince ourselves it's not. Because we're looking for those decoys. We're looking for those things that, that can distract us instead of really focusing in on what's most important. We're tempted by our own evil desires. We're looking for things that look fun. We're looking for things that look exciting. Because maybe life is just getting boring. Maybe the monotony of monogamy is getting boring. Maybe the monotony of your job is just getting, you're just tired. You just want 
something different. You just want something exciting. And that, oh, that looks different and that looks exciting. So I'm going to chase after that. We know that it's going to lead to death. Like we know it leads down a road that we're not supposed to go. We know that the decision that we're about to make. Listen, if I, if I could record the hundreds of people. I've been here for 12 years. And I promise over 150 to 200 people have sat in either my office or in my living room. I've had grown men sit in the floor of my house and cry and weep and say, I made a decision I knew I shouldn't have made. And now everything is gone. Everything has changed. I've lost it all because I was chasing after something that I knew I should have no business chasing after. We're looking for decoys. The next thing we know, everything we've worked for is gone. Our marriage is gone. Our integrity is gone. Our influence is gone. People look at us in the community and they think, oh, what happened to him? Or what happened to her? How could they act that way? And it's all over a decoy. And when you think, you step back and you go, that's the dumbest thing. Why would I ever do that? And in, the, in your moments of clarity, you think, I would never. I would never, ever do that. But then you get in a situation and you're looking for decoys and you find them. Because when you're looking for sin, you can find it pretty easily. James says that desire gives birth to sin. The things that you allow or chase after or pursue, these things are going to manifest themselves in your life as sin. See, that's the difference. You can see a decoy and recognize it as a decoy and go, that's, I'm not even going over there. And go on. That's that's just recognition. That's not sin. You saw it. You're like, no, uh, I'm not doing that. And you go the other direction. But when you when you pursue that decoy, when you chase after that decoy, that manifests itself as sin, right? You're ch- you're chasing after something other than what God has for you. That's sin. And then sin, once it's fully grown, once it's fully developed, once it's once it's done its duty and played its role in your life, sin leads to death. Sin uses you and destroys you. It entices you and draws you in and then it kills every part of you. That's what sin does. Sin is the decoy of destruction. It wants to utterly destroy us. Then he says this, James 1.16, keep reading This is our focus verse for the day. It should be on the front of your bulletin. Don't be deceived, dear brother. Don't be deceived. If I could say anything, if you could go home and write something on your mirror in your bathroom or on a little post-it note and put it on the dash of your truck or in in the front of your car, write down, don't be deceived. Don't give in. If you have a King James Version, it may say, do not err. Do not 
error. This Greek word that's translated into error or deceive, sometimes it says go astray or seduce or wander, okay? It's all the same Greek word. Here's the meaning. To cause to stray, to wander, or to roam about. But here's the other meaning of it. To lead away from the truth. To lead into error. So, let's ask Jerry. Jerry, okay, so while you were making your laps and you were carrying the bag, would it have been easier if every lap you stopped and you gave a decoy to somebody and then you made your lap and on this lap number two you reached in your bag and you gave a decoy to somebody else and you, and you made your lap? makes your job a little easier, right? You're, you're light and you're load. But what do you, well, you're not handing out real ducks, right? What are you doing? You're handing out more decoys. And this verse says, do not be deceived. What it could really translate into is, don't be deceived and don't lead others in deception. Don't be deceived and don't deceive others. See, this is a charge and a challenge all at the same time. Charge, don't be deceived. Challenge, don't do it to other people either. Don't drag other people into mess. Don't drag other people into sin and say, it's okay, it's just a decoy. It's okay. Listen, we won't tell anybody. Just hold this for a while. And all the while, you're still making your laps. And you're giving out and you're leading people. In, in pursuit of stuff that's going to destroy them. And James says so boldly, do not be deceived. Don't, don't buy into the decoy. But oh yeah, don't let other people buy into it either. Don't let other people die, buy into it either. He goes on to say, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Everything that's good and perfect comes from Him. Are decoys good? No. Are they perfect? No. That means they are definitely not from Him. Vincent's commentary says this. I love it. Every good gift of every kind, whatever is beautiful, excellent, and good in any creature in the universe, all the members and the senses of our bodies and all the temporal blessings, every gift of truth and grace, whatever leads to holiness and happiness, here or hereafter, is from above, from heaven. Not from earth, much less from hell. And it comes down from the Father of light whether material or spiritual, in the kingdom of grace and glory, the author of all truth, knowledge, wisdom, holiness, and happiness, church, it comes from Him. And so His truth, His goodness, His holiness is all from Him. Those are all good and perfect things. And, and I love it says it, does not, he does not change like the shifting of shadows. 
you walk outside right now and you look at the shadow of a tree, three hours later that shadow is going to look a little different, right? It's going to move a little different. Maybe it'll shrink up or maybe it'll expand depending on what time of day you're going out there. But see, God's not like that. He doesn't change like a shadow throughout the day. God is constant. And everything that's good and is perfect comes down from Him. And everything that is not good and everything that is deceptive does not come from Him. How dare we say that God is tempting us with something that is not good and perfect? Because if it's not good and perfect, it's not from Him. We can't change that. So, here's the big question, and I'll be done. I'm, I'm finished. How many decoys are you holding in your bag? How many things are you carrying around that you've accumulated, maybe from years ago, and you, you still got it in your bag, and you got it on your shoulder, you're just making laps, and you just feel like you're going nowhere? How heavy is the baggage that you're carrying around that's just, it's just fake. It's not even real. And like when you go duck hunting, you, you gotta, like you gotta carry all this stuff to go duck hunting. You don't just get your waders and you get your jackets and you get your gloves and all that kind of stuff and you get your gun and your shells and you just go. You gotta carry this with you. And some of you are like, I just, I got to carry this, Matt. This is my decoys, right? I've picked them up. Listen, I picked this decoy up a long time ago, and it's going to be really hard for me to let go of it because it's kind of molded to me. It's mine. I know it's not real. And there's times where I don't even care because it makes me feel good. Or it satisfies some part of me. I, I just don't know that I can let go of that. Some of you might be saying, all I've ever done is chase decoys. All I've ever done is bounce from one to the next, to the next, to the next, knowing that they're not real, knowing that they're not going to satisfy, knowing that they're not even good. But I don't know what is. I don't even know what's right anymore. I've just been chasing in circles after these decoys, and I don't, I, I don't even know how to get out of the loop. never experienced something that's real and honest and genuine never experienced God in a level that he took these things at the end of the day we don't have anything to be afraid of because our enemy cannot harm us he can throw decoys out to harm us but ultimately God is sitting in the bushes and he's watching it all unfold and he's trying to say go away get out of here we don't have anything to be afraid of because it's all fake and some of you are going but it's going to be hard for me to let go of this I can't let go of this decoy but it's fake it's scary to look for real and honest and genuine when I can hang on to what's fake I can hang on to the way I act. I can hang on to that drink in my hand. I can hang on to this relationship that I know is going nowhere. I can hang on to this 
flirtatious thing that makes me feel good. It's the only thing in life that feels good. Let go of that scary. But listen, when you think about it, it's just faith. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's all pretend. So today, maybe it's time to drop some baggage. Maybe it's time to recognize some defects. Maybe it's time to do what James says, is that I'm not going to be deceived any longer. Hey, this is Matt Overall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.